You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show with Gavin Walker.
We'd like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 and, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we have, of course, uh, a stellar lineup of uh, players, singers, musicians, all to do with the wonderful world of jazz. And, of course, we're going to lead off with our jazz feature this evening. And tonight is kind of a special jazz feature because this was a, an album that came out actually in 1994, but it was recorded in 1964, and it had never seen the light of day. Um, it was one of those um, albums and one of those groups that never actually had a formal recording. And it was led by someone who is one of the leading voices of the tenor saxophone, Mr. Stan Getz. And Stan, of course, um, th- there has been so much over the years written about Stan Getz's uh, influence, his uh, his musicianship, his technique, uh, all the groups that he had, how he was able to survive all the, the various movements in jazz and still um, keep a career and a high profile. And, uh, of course, his, his uh, personal problems as well. But Stan has been acknowledged as one of the greatest voices of the tenor saxophone. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, someone like John Coltrane uh, thought the world of Stan Getz. And um, it's very interesting that uh, uh, Coltrane was answering because uh, there was a, a kind of a situation where Stan and John Coltrane were sharing um, a club date. So Stan's set was one set, Coltrane's set was the other set. And after... Um, Coltrane set finished, a whole group of young, mostly young men and mostly young African-American men left, left the club and, and uh, Coltrane sometimes was standing at the door and a friend of mine witnessed this and he said, he said why are you guys leaving? Stan Getz is going to play the next set. And, and he said, well, no, no, we're, we're here for you. We're here for you, Mr. Coltrane. And 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 uh, Coltrane merely looked at these young men and said, "You know, you realize that all of us would love to play like Stan Getz, and you'd be best if you came back into the club, sat down, and checked him out." And um, a friend of mine witnessed this whole uh, thing, and, and these young men were talked among themselves, they all came back into the club and they dug Stan Getz's set. So there you go. So that's kind of (laughs) a little bit of how the esteem that Mr. Getz has been held. Anyway, this particular band never recorded. Now Stan had a lot of recordings at the time. His career had been uh, resuscitated by his um, love for the sounds of Brazil and the bossa nova. And, of course, he um, had bounced right back to number one with uh, tunes like uh, Desafinado, the one-note samba, and his association with the beautiful Brazilian singer Astrid Gilberto. 
And, of course, Bossa Nova was a huge part of Stan's thing. And, of course, he'd, he'd sneak in a couple of uh, straight-ahead swing tunes and that sort of thing. But it was the Bossa Nova thing that was really drawing uh, the people and also selling his records. So he decided and uh, to record with um, his little band, his quartet, uh, that featured a young man uh, on the vibes who later on became a huge musical influence. I'm talking about Gary Burton. And Stan had hired Gary uh, to play the vibes. He had dispensed with the piano or the guitar in the band, and so the vibes provided the chordal bass in, uh, in the band, and of course bass and drums made up the quartet. And of course, for the bossa nova tunes, Astro Gilberto was 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 brought out. So what happened was that Stan wanted to record with the band, without the uh, without doing bossa nova tunes and more straight ahead jazz. And so he recorded this album uh, in March of 1964, but it was quickly forgotten uh, because his other records were selling, and this particular session remained in the vaults for 30 years before someone wisely um, went into the vaults, listened to it, and said, we got to put this out. It's, this is a wonderful band, and uh, it's got to come out. So it has and did. And the album came out under the title of one of the tunes in, uh, on here, written by uh, Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein, uh, the tune was called Nobody Else But Me, and that was the album title, Stan Getz, Nobody Else But Me, the Stan Getz Quartet. Another small side note, not long after the this studio recording, and I was there, Stan came to Vancouver and played at Izzy's Supper Club, which was located in the 1100 block West Georgia, Stan was here for a week with this very band plus Astrid Gilberto. And, of course, he mixed the sets up. Sometimes he played a straight-ahead set, and then, of course, Astrid would come on and they would do their bossa nova thing. And it was an event, a musical event for Vancouver to hear Stan, Astrid, the whole repertoire. And... um, Izzy's Supper Club. And, of course, Izzy's Supper Club was one of the great uh, cabarets in Vancouver, and they always had a variety of entertainment. There was some good jazz there. There was all kinds of different types of entertainment. But uh, Izzy Walters, who who ran the place, uh, had had good taste in music, and he actually did like jazz. And so uh, he was sympathetic, and uh, when he could, he booked uh, some jazz. And Stan Getz was one of the people that he uh, picked. So um, that's it for this band. So this is their only recording, their only formal recording. Uh, And as I said, it was recorded in uh, Rudy Van Gelder Studios in March of 1964. And I believe um, the band came to Vancouver in... I believe it was the fall of 1964. I can't remember the exact date or whenever it was, but uh, um, this very same band was here. All right. We're going to hear Stan, of course, on tenor saxophone. And a young man who actually Stan was going to fire 
uh, he hired Gary Burton to play and, and hated his playing. And uh, he was um, uh, not happy with, with, uh, with Gary um, musically. Um, Gary, of course, was a wonderful person, but uh, Stan just didn't think it was going to work. And he was ready to give Gary the boot and, and, and hire a piano player or a guitarist uh, to fill the spot. But something clicked. Uh, they were playing a gig one night, and all of a sudden Stan realized, whoa, yes, Gary Burton. They finally meshed, gelled musically, and of course their association was rather magical. And you'll hear it on this album. Um, that was one of the reasons why Stan wanted to bring this band into the studio, because they had already had that magical moment, and he wanted to document it. So we're going to hear a young Gary Burton on Vibes. On bass, wonderful bassist who played with, uh, oh, Charlie Mariano and Paul Desmond and Jim Hall and so on, and he was uh, one of the better bass players of his day, Gene Chirico, the late Gene Chirico. And on drums, someone who had played with a variety of people um, never really made much of a name for himself, uh, but a very, very tasty, a very hip drummer by the name of Joe Hunt. And uh, that's it. The Stan Getz Quartet. The repertoire here is mostly standards. I'll, I'll run down the tunes. There's nine of them. So you're going to hear a nice um, feature for this band. And we begin, of course, with one of the most familiar tunes ever, George Gershwin's Summertime from the opera Porgy and Bess, and a very distinctive, beautiful version of that tune. Then we go to uh, a tune that was a big, I remember it was a big hit when Stan played at Izzy's, and uh, people started requesting it, and it's a Gary Burton composition called Six Nicks Quick Flicks. Six nicks, quick flicks. <laughs> Try that and say that three times fast. That's tune number two. Tune number three is a ballad that I remember really disliking this, this tune, but I love it now. It's written by Jimmy Van Heusen and Johnny Burke. It's a standard tune. It's called Here's That Rainy Day. Then... Um, a composition, tune number four, is a composition by alto saxophonist Phil Woods that he wrote for his wife. He had just married Charlie Parker's widow, Chan, and uh, he wrote this tune for her, and it's called Waltz for a Lovely Wife, simple title, by Phil Woods. Then another Gary Burton album, an, uh, an original by Gary, called Out of Focus, and then... Um, the title track is next, tune number six, the Jerome Kern, Oscar Hammerstein tune called Nobody Else But Me. Then um, a more obscure tune by uh, uh, Michel, um, Michel Clement and Irving Gibbs called Sweet Sorrow. And then a great Richard Rogers, Lorenz Hunt, uh, Lorenz Hart tune called Little Girl Blue. And the final tune, of course, is the great Cole Porter standard. What is this thing called love? Tune number nine. So here then, the Stan Getz Quartet with Gary Burton on vibes and Gene Chirico on bass and Joe Hunt on drums. Here is the great Getz.
Thank you. 
Thank you. 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, was our jazz feature this evening. An incredible recording by the wonderful Stanley Getz. And as I mentioned before, this was a recording that uh, was done in March of 1964 in uh, Rudy Van Gelder's studio, but uh, never released until 1994. And the reason being was that... uh, Verve Records, the label that uh, Stan recorded for, didn't want to flood the market um, with um, another kind of uh, Stan Getz album because his Bossa Nova albums, especially those with uh, Astrid Gilberto and and, uh, so on and so forth, were selling like hotcakes. So they didn't want to dilute the, the market. 
with uh, another sort of straight-ahead album as this one is. And so it was never released and then forgotten about because Stan went on to record other things in this particular session, and this particular band went unrecorded until... 1994, when they released this album. And, of course, it uh, was three years after, um, was released after, three years after Stan Getz's death. And uh, all of a sudden, the world was saying, wow, what a wonderful recording. And, of course, it got uh, incredible ratings and all this kind of stuff. And, as I mentioned before, it was a band that uh, had never formally recorded. This same band, uh, along with uh, singer Astrid Gilberto, performed in Vancouver in the fall of 1964 at Izzy's Supper Club, which was one of the the great institutions in Vancouver. And that was located uh, the 1100 block on West Georgia Street. And Izzy Walters, who owned the joint, uh, brought in, like jazz, and, and he brought in a lot of great jazz artists, respected musicians and entertainers, and um, brought in as much jazz as uh, was economically viable. Of course, uh, Izzy um, brought in all kinds of different kinds of entertainers. And unfortunately, in later years, uh, Izzy's uh, became a a strip club and uh, eventually closed. And uh, Izzy Walters is now one of the legends of uh, Vancouver showbiz. Anyhow, getting back to this band and its repertoire. Um, This was, as you heard, uh, a straight-ahead session, instrumental, and it was mostly standard tunes. And the people involved, Stan Getz on tenor saxophone, and a very young gentleman who went on to become one of the major jazz educators and one of the major voices of the vibes, Gary Burton. And of course, he is a legend today. On bass, the wonderful and late Gene Chirico on bass, and uh, a drummer who never really achieved much of a reputation, but a very, very fine drummer. And I remember a couple of uh, friends of mine, Bill Boyle being one of them, who was one of Vancouver's finest jazz drummers. He just raved about Joe Hunt, and that's the name of the drummer, Joe Hunt. The tunes, we heard nine tunes opening with uh, wonderful Beautiful, sensuous version of George Gershwin's Summertime. Then we heard a Gary Burton original called Six Nicks Quicks Flicks. Neat tune. And then, of course, uh, another beautiful ballad that Stan made all his own, the Jimmy Van Hughes and Johnny Burke tune, Here's That Rainy Day. And uh, we certainly hope uh, we're going to have one of those days in Vancouver. I have no doubt, of course, that the rainy day will come in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. They could sure use it in Washington State, though, I'll tell you. All right, and tune number four was written by a friend of Stan's, of course, the wonderful alto saxophonist Phil Woods, who uh, at the time had uh, married Charlie Parker's widow, and her name was Chan. And uh, he wrote this for Chan called Waltz for a Lovely Wife by Phil Woods. Then another intriguing Gary Burton original called Out of Focus. Then a tune, uh, the title track of this album, um, Jerome Kern, Oscar Hammerstein tune called Nobody Else But Me. And then uh, a wonderful tune by uh, 
Mike Gibbs, um, wonderful musician, a little more obscure, called Sweet Sorrow. And then the classic uh, Rodgers and Hart tune called Little Girl Blue. And the final tune, of course, was uh, an up-tempo version. Uh, Stan really opened up on this one. Of course, Cole Porter's great tune, What Is This Thing Called Love? Mm -hmm. Stan Getz, Gary Burton, Gene Chirico, and Joe Hunt. Great band. The album is called Nobody Else But Me, and it came out on Verve Records in 1994. Our jazz feature this evening, hope you enjoyed our foray into uh, the wonderful musicianship and uh, incredible saxophone playing of Stan Getz, the one and only. We're going to um, take a brief break for some messages and come back with a gentleman that I'm sure a lot of people have not heard of, but he was one of the major influences on Charlie Parker. Now, I'm not talking about Lester Young. Lester Young was a huge influence on Bird, But Henry Buster Smith, known as Professor Smith, who was an alto saxophonist, was one of Charlie Parker's biggest influences. And we're going to hear a little bit of a few tunes from one of the very few albums that uh, Buster Smith did late in his career, but still um, a valid uh, album. We're going to hear some tunes from that after these messages. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9. Or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and we shall return momentarily. The 13th annual Vancouver Latin American Film Festival lasts from September 3rd to September 13th. The festival is bringing more than 50 films from 14 different countries to Vancouver. This year, Mexico is the festival's guest country, and a special selection of Mexican films will be presented at the event. Don't miss being a part of the largest Latin American film festival in Canada. For more information, visit VLAFF.org. The Vancouver International Film Festival will once again welcome some of the world's finest films to one of the most beautiful cities on the planet. From September 24th to October 9th, the 34th annual VIFF will present over 300 films from 70 countries to nine Vancouver screens. Visit the Vancouver International Film Festival online at viff.org. Everything changed. Everything changed. I knew this day would come. we got a little bit of weather for you. Uh, Tonight, it's kind of hazy out there with a few clouds. I don't know whether the haze is caused by all those horrible fires that are happening in Washington State. I know they're affecting uh, the eastern uh, and middle part of our province big time. 
Um, I know people in Kelowna are just choking in Kamloops and places like that and closer to the border. Anyway, tonight is a few clouds and hazy with a low of 12. Um, tomorrow is a mix of sun and cloud. Then is going to completely clear up. It's going to be a beautiful sunny afternoon uh, with a high of 21. And then on Wednesday uh, is going to be sunny with a low of 12 and a high of 22. And then on Thursday is a mix of sun and cloud once again with a low of 13, a high of 22. And Friday is going to be cloudy with a low of 14, high of 21. And Saturday could be here's that rainy day on Saturday. They're calling for cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower on Saturday with a low of 14 and a high of 21. All right. Interesting. Uh, We need a bit of rain, and we also need a little bit of boost in the stock market as well. (laughs) We won't talk about that. That's uh, uh, hopefully uh, not everybody's running scared here. All right. Henry Smith, better known as Buster Smith, also known as Professor Buster Smith, was an alto saxophonist, a writer, arranger, also played guitar and piano, and was a, a wonderful musician from the earlier days, and was played with Count Basie's band in the early 40s and wrote some uh, really good arrangements for Basie's band. But, you know, Buster Smith was from the South, and he didn't particularly like the hypocrisy of living in the North. As, uh, as an African-American, um, he saw a lot of racial prejudice, even though it wasn't as out front as in the South. And he's one of those guys, he decided to go back South, where he could, uh, everything was kind of very clear. And, and uh, <laughs> you knew where you could go and where you, uh, where you couldn't go, where you would be welcome or where you, where you could be not welcome. He felt more comfortable in that environment and, uh, of course, became a, an obscure figure. But anybody that's read anything about Charlie Parker, and by the way, we're going to hear one of Charlie Parker's most, uh, uh, one of his legendary recording sessions uh, a little later on in the program. But uh, uh, anybody that's read anything about Charlie Parker knows that his, one of his influences was, of course, the great president, Lester Young. But Buster Smith was right up there. And Buster knew Charlie Parker and gave him a whole bunch of pointers on the alto saxophone. And Charlie Parker always mentioned Buster Smith with a great deal of affection and respect. All right, this album came out on Atlantic Records, and it was recorded um, long after uh, Buster Smith. um, This is sort of later on in Buster's life, but he still sounds great on this album. Um, Atlantic Records, the people went down to Fort Worth, Texas in June of 1959 and found Buster Smith uh, working with a little band with some incredible resident musicians, including one of my favorite baritone saxophonists, Leroy Hogg Cooper, 300 pounds. That's why they called him Hogg, big man. Played with Ray Charles for years and years. Wonderful baritone saxophone man. On piano, Herman Flowers. And on bass, Hosiah Smith. On drums, Robert Cobbs. And we're going to hear a tune to open the set by Buster Smith called simply Buster's Tune. And then we're going to move to a thing uh, by Buster called uh, 
E-flat boogie. But that adds some people uh, into the band, including Charles Gillum on trumpet, Clinton Smith on trombone, Eddie Cadell on tenor saxophone, and to the rest of the band, plus Buster, of course, on, uh, on his alto saxophone. Then Buster is going to be featured on a standard tune, beautiful thing, uh, an old uh, favorite called September Song. And then we're going to end the set with a tune, uh, in t- a famous tune that was written for uh, all kinds of bands, um, Irving Mills and uh, Mitchell Parrish. Anyway, the tune was called Organ Grinders Swing. So those are the tunes we're going to hear. So we're going to take you back, take you down to Fort Worth, Texas, and hear the legendary Buster Smith.
That was some music recorded uh, on an Atlantic album, pretty difficult to find now, called the legendary Buster Smith. And he certainly was a legendary musician. Professor Buster Smith, who was a master of the alto saxophone, of course, he wrote music, arranged music, played the guitar, also played piano. But he was one of the major influences on Charlie Parker. And they knew one another. And he taught uh, Parker a lot of things about the alto saxophone. And uh, I think if you listen to this recording, even though it was recorded late in Buster's career, I would have loved to have actually heard a a recording of him in his early career when he was friends with Charlie Parker and, and, and teaching him and influencing him. However, this is late in his career, and Buster had moved to the South permanently, And this was recorded in Fort Worth, Texas in June of 1959. And uh, a wonderful little band that he led there, composed of uh, mostly um, local musicians from that area. With the exception of the baritone saxophonist who who toured for many, many years with Ray Charles, 300 pounds of them, Hog Cooper, Leroy Cooper on baritone saxophone. I love his playing. And... um, Herman Flowers is a piano player, Josiah Smith on bass, Robert Cobbs on drums, and we heard a trumpet in there. His name is Charles Gillum on trombone, Clinton Smith, and on tenor saxophone, Eddie Cadell. So we heard four tunes. We opened with a thing, uh, with a sort of a pared down band on the first tune, and it was called Buster's Tune, appropriately enough. Then we went to another Buster Smith composition called E-flat Boogie. Then we heard the beautiful Kurt Weill, Leroy Anderson lament entitled September Song, which was a feature for Buster, showing his ballad chops. And the final tune was the Mitchell Paris thing, a big hit for all kinds of bands, Jimmy Lunsford's band and different other bands. And that, of course, was the Organ Grinders Swing. And that was a, a great hit tune in the uh, in the swing era of jazz, and we heard the full band on there. So, some tracks from one of Charlie Parker's influences, Henry Buster Smith, Professor Buster Smith. All right. Actually, right now, we'll just tell you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR, FM 101.9, or on your computer, of course, CITR.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. We're going to take you back to Tuesday, Tuesday evening in New York City, the 26th of October, 1947, to WOR Studios at Broadway and 40th Street in New York. One of the great bands that was led by none other than Charlie Parker. August 29th, of course, is Charlie Parker's birthday. That's going to be this Saturday night. So I thought we'd play some Parker for you. With This is considered probably his greatest working band, and they did record a lot. We're going to hear uh, six tunes that they recorded on this session. And the band features none other than Miles Davis on trumpet, Duke Jordan on piano, Tommy Potter on bass, 
and Max Roach on drums, and of course, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone. These tracks did so much to change what people thought was jazz. Uh, You know, Charlie Parker was such a huge influence, but these were among his most influential recordings. And he did many during this very prolific time. Uh, He had returned from the West Coast after a uh, some misfortunes out there and came back to New York, his, uh, the only city that he just truly loved and thrived in and formed this great band and did uh, tons of recordings for um, a small label called Dial Records and also for Savoy Records. And these were done for Dial. So we're going to hear Dexterity. Uh, it's a Charlie Parker original. And then we're going to... Uh, do a tune called Bongo Bop. Then we're going to do a tune uh, written for a hotel that Charlie Parker stayed at and, and a lot of other musicians. The Dewey Square Hotel. And we're going to hear the tune called Dewey Square. Then we're going to do a tune dedicated to the Salvation Army. <laughs> and it's called The Hymn. And we're going to listen to that. That's an up-tempo tune, by the way. Then we're going to hear a beautiful tune based on all the things you are. And Charlie Parker called it, did some variations on it, and called it Bird of Paradise. And then the final tune is one of the most gorgeous ballads. Interesting thing about Dial Records, they allowed Charlie Parker to record uh, ballads, which were mostly standard tunes. Savoy Records didn't do that because they didn't want to pay the royalties, but Dial Records did. And Charlie Parker was able to record one of his favorite tunes, the George Gershwin tune called Embraceable You. And that's the final tune of the set of six tunes we're going to hear. Once again, Bird, Charlie Parker on alto, Miles Davis on trumpet, Duke Jordan on piano, Tommy Potter on bass, and Max Roach on drums. And we begin with Dexterity. Thank you. 
we heard six master takes from uh, these recording sessions that were, uh, or this recording session that was done W.O.R. Studios in New York City, Broadway and 40th Street. On Tuesday, the 26th of October, 1947, in one of the finest working bands ever led by Charlie Parker, and they were together for a number of years with Charlie Parker, of course, on alto saxophone, Miles Davis on trumpet. This was his first really major gig. This is... um, Working with Charlie Parker really put young Miles uh, on the map and on the road to his career. Duke Jordan on piano, Tommy Potter on bass, and Max Roach on drums. And we heard six uh, tunes that were recorded for the Dial label. One of the two labels that Charlie Parker was uh, contracted to, Dial actually was a West Coast label, And when Charlie Parker moved back to New York, that's when Dial moved to New York, too, because Charlie Parker was their major star. And um, Charlie Parker also recorded for Savoy Records as well, right up until the end of the 40s, and then he moved and joined uh, Norman Grants and Mercury Records, Verve Records, Clef, Norgrand Records, all that stuff. Anyway, getting back to this, uh, the tunes we heard, we opened with a Charlie Parker original, one of my favorite tunes by Bird called Dexterity, based on, of course, I Got Rhythm. And uh, then we heard one based on the blues, as a lot of Charlie Parker's originals were, Bongo Bop. Then we heard a tune dedicated to a hotel that a lot of musicians stayed at in New York, the Dewey Square Hotel. The tune was called Dewey Square. Then we heard a tune, up-tempo thing, that had that little uh, riff at the end, uh, which, of course, Charlie Parker took from the Salvation Army bands. <laughs> and that was called The Hymn. And then we heard uh, Bird's beautiful uh, variations on Jerome Kern's All the Things You Are that he called Bird of Paradise. And the final tune, of course, was one of Bird's favorite ballads, the George Gershwin standard, Embraceable You. Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Duke Jordan, Tommy Potter, and Max Roach. The quintet of Charlie, of Bird. And they recorded lots, this, this particular band, because they were together for um, at least two years. Worked at all the different uh, jazz spots in New York at the time. All right, our tribute to Charlie Parker, who will be having a birthday uh, on... August 29th. And of course, you're listening to CITR 101.9 on your FM dial on unceded Musqueam territory right out here at UBC or on your computer, which is citr.ca. And uh, of course, we have a couple of important websites to tell you about, which we usually do around this time. And uh, that's the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. They have some great plans coming up on this, um, this, this fall, which is, of course, right around the corner. And uh, they have some stuff happening, which is really, really important. So I think it would be a good idea to get onto their website, which is coastaljazz.ca. And um, that's uh, a very comprehensive website. 
The other website, of course, that I always mention is one that's put together by my good friend Brian Nation. Brian is recovering from a pretty serious uh, health concern, but he's doing extremely well, and he's really getting back on track. And uh, Mr. Nation is the administrator of VancouverJazz.com. And that, again, is another very comprehensive website and really worth your time to, uh, to go check out. All sorts of links on there, including gigs, biographies. Um, uh, you'll see a thing, uh, Jazz on the Air, and I post uh, all the jazz features and write a little uh, essay on uh, each one of them every week. That sort of thing, um, all worthwhile reading, and uh, that's VancouverJazz.com. And one more thing, my good friend uh, Ken Speller, who um, not only teaches music, uh, he uh, has a a business called Music at Home, and he will go to your residence and, uh, and teach you how to play the clarinet, the flute, or the saxophone, and he is adept and expert at all of those instruments. But another thing that he really does well, very inventive fellow, he's also a, a magnificent repairman. And if you need a complete overhaul for your uh, horn or just a tweak, Ken Speller's the guy to do it. He has his workshop right in his home. And so that way he keeps his prices very, very reasonable. And um, he is, of course, a musician himself, so he is very sympathetic to the financial status of most musicians, which, unless you're a big rock star or something, most musicians are very close to, uh, well, you know, (laughs) that particular line of uh, uh, economic um, status, shall we say. All right, Ken Speller can be reached via telephone at 778-800-1933. That's 778-800-1933. Or kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. That's K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. He's a good man to know. And you'll make your instrument sound as good as you do. Um, because if your instrument isn't in shape, and uh, there's something wrong with it, you're not going to sound good. But if it's in good shape and he'll put it there, then it, then you'll sound as good as you are, and that's important. All right, we're going to hear some music now by Youssef Latif, and uh, this uh, great musician, uh, multi-instrumentalist, of course. And uh, Youssef is a, um, a wonderful musician, uh, devoted um, very, very devout, uh, was a very, he, uh, he passed away um, at the ripe old age. He was, he was in his 90s, and uh, he passed away a little while ago. Youssef was a very devout Muslim, uh, a member of the Ahmadiyya uh, faith, uh, that side of Islam, which is very peaceful and very, very devout. And uh, Youssef led an exemplary life and was a real example to all the musicians that worked with him as well. Uh, They admired Youssef so much, um, and uh, some of them that had some bad habits and so on looked up to Youssef and and said, no, I want to be like him, because uh, he set such a great example, not only in his personal life, but his, his music as well. 
So this is a band uh, that Youssef had uh, in the late uh, 50s, and it featured mostly uh, Detroit-based musicians. Uh, Youssef made his home there. This was before Youssef uh, moved to New York. He only came to New York to record. And my dear friend Lonnie Hillier, the late Lonnie Hillier Sr., is playing trumpet uh, here, and this is Lonnie's recording debut. Lonnie, of course, went on to become one of Charles Mingus's favorite trumpet players and favorite musicians. And uh, Lonnie and I became very good friends when he came to uh, Vancouver as part of uh, Mingus's quartet. On piano, the great and uh, underappreciated Hugh Lawson, Herman Wright on bass, and another good friend of mine, Frank Ghent on drums. And uh, that's the people that made up this uh, edition of Yousef's Quintet. We're going to hear two tunes from uh, from this band. The first one was uh, is entitled is a Latif composition called "Cry Tender," which was the title of an album that came out on Prestige. And uh, tune number two is a thing called "Butters Blues." So here then is the music of Yousef Latif. Thank you. 
Thank you.
Some music by Youssef Latif, and that was recorded uh, in 1959 for Prestige Records, and it featured his working band of the time with my old friend Lonnie Hillier on trumpet, making his recording debut. These are all Detroit-based musicians because Latif made his home there until he moved permanently to New York in 1960. And uh, we heard Lonnie Hillier, as I mentioned, on trumpet, Hugh Lawson on piano, Herman Wright on bass, and my good friend and old friend Frank Gantz on drums. And the first tune we heard, um, as you know, Mr. Latif was a multi-instrumentalist, and the first tune we heard was uh, that featured both his oboe and his tenor saxophone, and that was his own composition, a mournful ballad called Cry Tender. Uh, which was the title of the Prestige album that was issued. And the second tune was a more uh, optimistic piece of music written by Mr. Latif, of course, and called Butter's Blues. The music of Youssef Latif. We're going to go back to an album that was issued um, in about 2002 on the Cellar Live label. And that featured, um, features pianist Sharon Minamoto, of course, who was a big part of uh, the Vancouver jazz scene today. And um, we're going to hear two of her compositions. And it features Sharon, of course, with her band at the time, and featuring her husband at the time, who was tenor saxophonist, the late, great, one of the best-loved musicians that Vancouver has ever produced, even though he was born in Victoria. Ross Taggart, and um, Ross Taggart is here on tenor saxophone. Wonderful musician. On trumpet, Brad Turner. On bass, Darren Radke. And on drums, Bernie Arai. And, of course, Sharon Minamoto at the piano. Two tunes. The first tune actually is an affectionate tribute to her husband, who was Ross Taggart, and... The tune is called The Cookie Monster. And the second tune is uh, another one of her compositions called Penalty Shot. And this is from a Cellar Live album, goes back a few years, called Side A. So the music of the wonderful Sharon Minamoto. We begin with The Cookie Monster.
recorded at the cellar, Corey Weed's cellar in 2002. This is from an early um, cellar live album called Simply Side A, and it featured uh, a quintet led by pianist Sharon Minamoto. And of course, her then husband was the late and wonderful tenor saxophonist and musical personality Ross Taggart. We also heard Brad Turner on trumpet, Darren Radke on bass, and Bernie Arai on drums. And we heard two tunes from this album. The first one was actually dedicated to Ross. As uh, you may have known, Ross and Sharon were married at the time. And um, Sharon wrote this tune um, and dedicated it, of course, to her husband, Ross and called it The Cookie Monster. That was the first tune we heard. And the second tune uh, was entitled Penalty Shot. Very fine quintet of uh, Vancouver-based musicians, some of the very best. We're going to turn now to a legendary album led by Charles Mingus. And the album was called Mingus Three, And it featured West Coast pianist, Hampton Hawes, who was um, visiting New York in uh, 1957, spent a little time there. And um, Hampton, of course, had uh, a lot of problems at the time, Um, drug thing and all all that sort of stuff. And Mingus wanted to help him out a little bit and uh, used him on this, uh, on, on this particular record date, and it came off extremely well. So we're going to hear some tunes from this uh, uh, recording called simply Mingus Three. It came out on Jubilee Records uh, uh, initially, and uh, the first one is a Jerome Kern tune, just a great uh, performance of a tune called Yesterday's. And uh, what a, a wonderful arrangement and, uh, and playing by Hampton Hawes. Then um, the next tune we're going to hear is uh, a version of, um, of a tune actually uh, written by Charles Mingus. And it's dedicated to Dizzy Gillespie because it's based on a very famous Dizzy Gillespie composition called Wooden You. And the tune is called Dizzy Moods. So we're going to hear that one. And then we're going to hear a tune by Hampton Haas called Hamp's New Blues. Three tunes from this wonderful album. Charles Mingus on bass is the band leader, Danny Richmond on drums, and Hampton Haas on piano. And we begin with Jerome Kern's Yesterdays. Thank you. 
We end the show with a couple of tunes from this album called Wiggin' Out, a very uh, pretty rare album by Gerald Wiggins. And, of course, uh, Gerald is more noted for his uh, great piano stylings. And here he was featured on the Hammond organ. And obviously, he takes an orchestral approach to that uh, instrument, which is uh, so adaptable and so capable of doing so many things. On tenor saxophone, the great Harold Land. And on drums, the ever-reliable Jackie Mills. And all that was recorded in Los Angeles in 1960. We heard Wiggin' Out, the title track, was the first tune. And the second tune, of course, was Dizzy Gillespie's most famous composition, A Night in Tunisia. So that's it for this edition of The Jazz Show this evening. And my name's Gavin Walker. Next week on the Jazz Feature, I erroneously announced uh, Kenny Dorham was going to be our Jazz Feature last week. And, of course, this, it was Stan Getz, which uh, those of you that were around at the beginning of the show heard uh, the great Mr. Getz. So next week's Jazz Feature is a beautiful album by Kenny Dorham, trumpeter Kenny Dorham, one of the uh, great, wonderful trumpet players. Uh, with his group, and they're going to do the music from Showboat. And this is an extremely fine album, and it also features Kenny alongside uh, Jimmy Heath, who plays tenor saxophone on here. And, of course, the legendary Mr. Heath was in Vancouver this summer for uh, a couple of epic performances at uh, this year's Jazz Festival. So that's our jazz feature next week. Kenny Dorham, the great trumpeter, and tenor saxophonist Jimmy Heath and company doing the music of Showboat. So that's it. Thank you very much for being out there this evening on behalf of CITR 101.9 and myself, Gavin Walker. We'll see you in seven days' time. Take care. Bye-bye.